0: Okay, so this podcast was quite the challenge, kind of like being locked up in a dark, really hot place, or the uh, U.S. Senate coat room under Democratic control. It's a little irregular. The guest was great. We just had a hard time connecting between Jim, Chris, and myself. There's been a lot of editing and splicing going on here, and uh, Continuity's pretty good, but... Okay, hey, welcome to Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. Boy, I've heard that before. On the line with me today is New England's own James Lincoln and control guru... Seth Newman, who's out in uh, California. So welcome, guys. Uh, I'm sitting here just thirsty for knowledge on RFID, and I don't even know what it means. So, Chris, why don't you tell the listeners, what are we going to be talking about with Seth here? What are the ins and outs of RFID?
1: Well, Paul, um, it's a technology I kind of stumbled upon. Because I like doing model railroad operation, but I hate the paperwork. Um, I never have the energy or the inclination to go out and handwrite these switch lists, um, all, all the things that kind of go along with operating a model railroad realistically. Uh, the RFID technology eliminates the paperwork. It all makes your switch list more accurate and it it just automates things a lot cleaner on your model railroad. So you can operate and just get focused in on what most people would consider a game.
0: Okay. Very good. Well, Seth, what does it mean, Seth?
2: It stands for Radio Frequency Identification.
0: Okay. And how does that work for us in model railroading?
2: It's very useful for identifying uh cars and locomotives on the layout. Okay. So uh, two applications that we've developed for radio frequency ID is train tracking. So... If you want to know which train has gone by a particular location or whether a train has gotten by a location yet, um, you can use RFID tags mounted to the locomotives, and we've got uh, an installation where uh, the, the owner is using it for OSing, for reporting position of trains as they pass uh, train order offices, and he did that because when you're doing timetable and train order operations, it's important that the... Train, uh, be, the, the, the noting of a train's passing to the, uh, uh, dispatcher has to be made usually by an operator, but of course we don't have enough room for all those operators in, in our layout room. So rather than having the crew, you know, unprototypically become the station, uh, agent and, uh, call into the dispatcher, he simply has the RFID system report each train's passing of the various stations uh, back to the dispatcher. So, so this is a chip that's going to go inside the car body somewhere? Um We actually mount them on the trucks of the freight cars and under the, the pilots of locomotives. Okay. Uh,
0: now, will they interact with any of the decoders?
2: No, no, they they okay. really don't. You you have to be a little bit careful um about how you feed the section of track with DCC power that the decoder the detector is sitting below, but other than that there's really no interaction and it doesn't do anything to DCC um and uh you, you saw the clinic it's in the materials uh We'll, we'll maybe we can find that page and, and refer to it, and it just shows how to do that. But it's it's pretty simple uh, matter of just uh, separately powering the section of track directly above the detector and feeding them both from the same end. And once you do that, uh, uh, there's no interference. So you can put these tags on locomotives, have them run through at track speed, and get reliable detection.
0: Okay, and the contrast would be if I had an optical sensor mounted between the rails that, you know, was, I was using for uh, signaling and so forth. Is is that a good analogy? I know this is a different technology, but am I understanding it correctly?
2: Well, if, if, from an installation perspective, imagine putting an under-track uh, electromagnetic decoupler. Okay. It would be, a, it'd be a, bi- a little smaller than that in the same kind of technique. You know, you just cut a hole in the road bed, stick the uh sensor head, which is about an inch square by maybe three-eighths thick, up underneath the road bed, and then you're good. Um, we, as I say, like to mount them on the trucks because that keeps you a uniform distance, about four-tenths of an inch, over the top of the detector head, which is right in the middle of the sweet spot. And you'll get very reliable reads doing that. Okay. Um.
3: This so is essentially—it's essentially the same tech. It's exactly the same technology that railroads use. They—they they have RFID's on every single car, every single locomotive, and they pass by readers at yards. It does essentially. This, you're asking RFID to do essentially the same thing that it does for real railroads. Honestly,
2: that's exactly right. I mean, we're—we're we're replicating the function. We're replicating the technology. Um, you certainly could mount them on the sides. Um, Although the way the railroads do it, obviously they're dealing with much more expensive equipment. is they stick a tag on each side of the car? Uh, We, you know, model railroaders being cheap as we are, we'd we'd rather do it with one tag so it's a little easier to mount them in the roadbed. But yeah, other than that, it's exactly the same thing the railroad does.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, And so let's just go ahead and tell the people that the the website is model railroad. Control systems uh, the name of it, and then the uh, web address is of course uh, model railroad com and that's all one word, no breaks in between and that uh, where we start getting the information about what uh, Seth is talking about okay now how long have you been involved in this?
2: uh we started this about 2 years ago uh chris drome is uh one of the local modelers lives about 3 miles from me and uh we had been talking about uh we use switchless on my layout to to sw- you know for car forwarding and it um what we were we were having a little bit of an operational problem because every time a train would pull into the yard the clerk would have to uh you know, get up and then essentially, you know, do the mud hop job, you know, walk the train and write down the uh reporting marks and road number of each car. And it was taking a long time. Crews were waiting around and people were, you know, trying to work with them and writing faster and faster. And the handwriting, especially mine, was getting worse and worse. And the numbers were getting transposed. So finally we said, you know, if we put an RFID tag on each car, then we could fairly easily write an application that would just spit out a nice printed, uh, uh switch list and it would be fast and it would be accurate. And Chris is a professional programmer and he said, I could do that. And he did. Okay. I'm just reading
0: on the, uh, the website.
2: Yeah, Uh, I apologize for that. We were putting up a nice new polished one with a a store, but uh, it's probably still a couple of weeks away. uh, Well,
0: it's okay. I mean, I'm a novice at this, so anything is, you know, startling news to me. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so then Jim's comment that this is just replicating the same thing that the, uh, the rear railroads do. Okay. Do you... Silly question, but you incorporate this on your own railroad and during the op session? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. We, okay. Uh, the way my railroad works, and Jim, I, I, this is Western practice, but it's probably true in, in, in Jim's world, too. Most yards don't actually have a yard master because they don't have a dedicated switch crew. There are a bunch of locals and uh, in industry jobs that work out of the yard on my layout, which is Milpitas, California, And as far as I know, way back into the Western Pacific era, uh, never had a yard master or a dedicated switch engine. Um, so what would happen is there'd be a clerk sitting in the office who was responsible for keeping track of what was in the yard, but essentially a crew would go on duty and they would get a list of, here's all your cars and here's where you're taking them. And, uh, it's up to the conductor to figure out, you know, what order he wants to put them in and what he's going to do with them. And, uh, you know, maybe if the clerk says, you know, it would really be convenient if when you're done you move this cut of cars over to the next one before you left, they would do that. And so there, there's not a dedicated switcher. There's just crews coming in, fishing out what they need, and taking off to do their work and coming back and sorting it out. Um, so for that kind of operation, uh the switch list is very handy. You know, Jim, Conductor Jim, here's your list of cars and Conductor Jim looks to see where the cars are, uh, works out a plan to get them, um, you know, maybe tries to keep it neat for the next crew that needs to come in, and, you know, heads off uh, uh, to do his work for his customers.
3: Yeah, in um, some of the yards around here, um, then it was essentially the same thing, and it was – Oh, let's see. In Middleborough Yard, there was no Yardmaster. There was like four or five locals, and you did all the work. And uh it was kind of frustrating because there were two trains. There was the train that brought all the cars to Middleborough, which was the, B, the B725, which came down the Framingham Secondary. And he had all of his stuff done, although he's a great conductor. He had all of his stuff done by Yardmaster. All the Yardmasters make sure that all of his paperwork was in order and and all that stuff and in Framingham uh which is where the main freight that from Selkirk brings in all the freight they had a yardmaster well Middleborough you had to act as the yardmaster and make sure all that you know you had to correlate all the 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 correlating train which was the b726 which came from Middleborough uh went up the um the main up to Attleboro and then you swap trains then you um you had to do all that paperwork, so you had to make sure that you got all the, the hazardous material paperwork from Danny, who was the conductor coming for the 725. I had to make sure that you had all, all his paperwork and the corresponding paperwork that, to, to give him, but you also, it was like a lot of work, and then you had to go outside, and there was no car knocker there either. So you had like 60 or 70 cars. You had to go walk outside. After, after doing all the paperwork, you had to walk outside in class one. 70 cars and every time i did it was always raining <laughs> so, of course yeah yeah you know, it, you know so they started calling me for that job I'm like no 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 i'm not going sorry you can somebody else can do it well but you're cut. Co- no how about no <laughs> every single time it was raining or like just some awful weather event but the, yeah it, it a couple of the uh, reedville used to have a yard master and then they took the Yardmaster out, and the same kind of thing. All the local crews would do the uh, appropriate work, paperwork and stuff. So carry on.
0: I'm looking, and within your guys' system. Now, this is a system that's commercially available that you've developed. Am I reading that right?
2: A great it – it is not a fully built commercial system. Some of the code and most of the um, – Board designs are posted on the Arduini uh Yahoo group, uh which is a group we founded to support a lot of these activities. So it's open source um, and uh you know it turned out a lot of people had different requirements, but if you have an application that's pretty much like what we did, either uh, uh reporting for um, uh you know OSing trains or the uh switch list application. Uh, you can just send me an email and we'll, we'll get you a copy. Um, at this point it requires, you know, a little bit of database expertise. We are trying to, uh, you know, make it plug and play, I guess is the best way to describe it.
0: Okay. Now, you, you say that in OSing. What does that stand for? I have no clue.
2: Um, I think it originally standed for either on sheet or on station. And the reason was that each uh, operator in the days of timetable and train order had a train sheet, which was a log of all the trains that went past him. And as a okay. train went by, he would write down the train and uh, the time and whether it was flying flags showing that there were additional sections and that sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, as traffic on the train line, the dispatcher's line allowed, he would call it into the dispatcher with the time that it went on sheet or that it passed his station. Uh, There's no agreement on what it originally stood for. You know, I think it finally got to be like, you know, what is okay? You know, okay is just a thing now. (laughs) Okay. Um, and, And OS, you know, as far as anybody, I think who's still working in the railroad industry was, you know, lost in the mists of time.
0: Okay. So your readers and stuff can communicate back via Ethernet or Arduino. Is that,
2: am I understanding what you just said? That's correct. Each, each reader stack, and this is on one of the charts here, if you, uh, somewhere in the range of 20 to 30, if you uh, fish through the presentation. But the idea is that the Arduino is a little controller and it has uh Connected to it uh, an Ethernet what's called an Ethernet Shield, which is just a device that allows the the little controller to read the reader and send the information out uh, over ethernet and this whole stack is about a hundred dollars to build, and uh, it communicates with a little with another computer uh, which acts as a server and collects all this uh, information and keeps a database of the cars so you can print your um, your uh, switch list. So,
0: I've looked at your website with your with your uh, model railroad. You sent us that link, and uh, some of those items are beautiful. Some of your scenery and some of the buildings you've already got in place. Well, thank you. Very, very nicely done. Uh,
3: you sent us a link. I, I don't see it. it. Yes, I don't see it in the
0: chat. No, it's in the email that oh. he gave you ahead of the. Uh, Oh, the thing same place where i got uh
3: oh you mean i you mean i'm actually supposed to do research before these things
0: no it it's, a, it's a concept we're going to float out there and see if it works uh,
3: uh well i mean i've heard seth on the model uh rail radio so i've heard him talking about this before so okay um i just uh yeah. it wasn't until very recently that i realized that you had a company that did this but
2: oh yeah well the the company is fairly new, Chuck and I founded it about um oh, I don't know, six months ago, something like that. I think I finally got around to filing a business license and getting a california tax i d uh two months ago so it's 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 new, and as i say the 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 website with the little commerce uh store hasn't even come up yet so um <clears throat> one one could be forgiven for not realizing that but You know, what was happening is we were doing these things, and people kept saying, well, can I buy some? Can I buy some? And we finally said, you know, getting these things together as group buys is just getting to be kind of a nuisance, and we're doing enough business that at some point, you know, if anybody ever got audited, you know, there'd be a lot of questions, so we just said, might as well get legit. And, of course, we decided to do it in California, which – you know, as well, Massachusetts is probably the same, you know. How many permits do you need to do a little, uh, uh, model railroad electronics store out of your, uh, out of your, uh, home office? Hmm.
3: Yeah, it's not, uh, I don't, well, who knows? I, I, I've heard California can be pretty, I don't, I mean, Massachusetts may be bad, but it's not as bad as that.
2: <laughs> so, anyway. I mean,
3: although I will say this, I remember when I, I tried to do a business down in Florida. Getting off track, uh, but I um, I went down there and it was you know, I was I was working out of this job site and that's where I was and I had to I had to go get a business license in uh, West Palm Beach or uh, Palm Beach County and um, when I went to the county I forget whether I went to the, whether this was the county or the they said okay well we're going to send somebody out to inspect the location um, before we issue the license and it's like it's a parking lot. Where I parked the truck is that address. Well, we have to send somebody out. This is okay. So, until that occurs, then my applications for the license will work as the license. No, you have to wait till we go and check and come back to you. And then, even though I paid you the money, yes. And to I said, okay, so until I get that, I can't eat to this day. That was 1999. I still have not received word from Palm Beach County that they actually went and
2: looked.
0: <laughs>
2: <clears throat> they weren't quite that bad, but it was just one of these things of you know, yes, you can register for this, but you need to get the number from that guy and you know mm-hmm. just went around in circles forever until finally you know we we got the right guy with the first number and uh but you know that's. Uh, Life in the big city, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Life in the big city. Okay, so then this is embedded, uh, I would guess, pretty deeply within your operating sessions.
2: Yes, it is. It, it's really been a a, a, a huge improvement. <laughs> Just uh, uh, sometimes the clerks, you know, if they weren't regular. Clerks would just be so buried, you know, because they had to kind of stop what they were doing and go out and run around and write all these lists that, that it was, yeah. uh, you know, they were really running hard by the end of the session. And, uh, uh, really that's, that's stopped now. So we've, you know, things have been much more efficient, uh, much easier for crews to find cars. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really worked out well and somewhere in this presentation here, I'm just trying to read it as a PDF off the screen so it's slow. There are a couple of examples of the reports and what it does for you. So, uh, uh, again, I would go to the site, uh, talks about RFID. I think it's the fourth item down and there's a link to a presentation and, uh, you know, feel free to read through it and send us an email if you have, you know, more technical questions about how to implement it. Um, um yeah actually there's a there's a nice little process picture here on slide eleven that shows you know what's going on as you cross the reader and how it gets uh sent to the server and what what you're getting from it so anyway there's there's some nice illustrative stuff
0: okay, yeah page fifteen gives me a uh picture of the chips the boards right
2: right that's uh, an example everything of the whole stack yeah yeah. And it turns out, actually, the amusing thing is the least expensive, acceptable Ethernet shield these days is uh, at your local radio shack for, I think, 21.95. dollars mm. um, So, you know, pretty easy to do. But you can see there isn't much to this. And when the whole thing is assembled, it's basically maybe three inches by four inches by three inches with that uh, uh little reader head sticking up under the track like uh, an uncoupler. Okay.
3: Um, Seth, can you do me a favor and send me that link in, because I'm looking through my email and
2: can Oh, play. um, sure. Uh, uh Jim, one have second.
3: Very good. You recognize the voice.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Jim, I just went through. I was going to send it over to you, and...
2: Oh, I don't have your email. Jim, could you repeat that? Well, can, you, can you put it in the chat? Oh, I probably can. Hold on a sec. That's a great. Just, post, thing to do. just paste it into the chat. Yeah, let me do that. Um, I'm
3: looking through. I, I have the list of all and I must have deleted the early, early one, and uh, either that or it's somewhere in the buried
0: in my email.
2: Well, you know um, that never happens to me, huh?
3: Well, there's,
2: <laughs> ni- there's been
0: 19 individual messages back and forth as we actually, set this actually up. Actually,
2: came back.
3: It comes through as like 28, but okay. So. When I went, and I'm looking through all of them, and I think the very earliest ones, I must have
0: just nuked them. Well, mine was here right before I called you guys, because that's how I got the uh Seth's phone number and the uh, model railroad control systems. And now I can't find it, because it's the one that has the uh listing for Seth's, uh railroad also, which has, like I said, some beautiful photos in it.
2: Well, I've been really blessed. A lot of my crew are amazing structure builders. So, uh, 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 you know, it seems like all I have to do is, is build a mock-up, which, you know, is like three pieces of foam core with uh, uh, uh industry name scribbled on it. And it's like, I want to build it, me, me, me. <laughs> and uh, Well, the one with the uh, stone... That won some award at a show. Oh well, actually, a couple of them did. Yes, the Kaiser Sand and Gravel. Isn't that a? Oh, that is so. That is beautiful. Yeah, so he did an amazing I, job. I
3: yeah, and I still don't have that in the chat. But, and so this is all just your layout, right?
2: Um the the layout picture is is the page for um our local um invitational operating uh meet that we hold every other year. It's going to be this March nineteenth through twenty first called Bay Rails. And ah. so what you're looking at is the page for my layout in Bay Rails. And uh since it's okay. my website I've just been happily embedding my stuff in there. <laughs> um, ah. but if you um, if you look over on the left you'll see there's other Bay Rails information and there's a bunch of other layouts. Uh I think it's a, a very fine meet, and we're up to Bay Rail Six, um, so we've been. Doing My question is:
3: When I come out
2: there, am I going to be able to operate on your layout? Oh well, uh, absolutely. Um okay. So I. It'll cost you though. i uh, no, be quiet. Uh,
3: not too be much. Quiet. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain.
2: Yeah, you know, spe- special for our friends, you know. Um, you get the, the friends and family discount. But, yeah, absolutely. So are you coming out for Tom's show? We'll um, yeah. see if we can. Uh, uh, he certainly wants to set up a tour, and I was thinking uh, we could certainly hold an op session.
0: Okay. Now, the website that uh, we're talking about is uh, bayrails.com, and bayrails is uh, one word, dot .com, Uh so that will take it to you, and you 'll see the photos of cess railroad and then, like you said, on the left are other choices you can make but yeah, I love that sand and gravel facility that is really
2: neat yeah we've we 've got a lot of you know uh construction materials industries, and there's i'm um, not sure if we have it up in the photos yet let me let me let me see here um, but uh there is a uh, cement reload which is uh very prominently visible from one of the major freeways in the area um and uh, uh that is probably going to be complete by Bay Rail so let me just see if we have a shot yeah it's this uh picture here that says Lehigh cement reload um so that's a, a, a real facility at Highway 880 and Industrial Avenue in Union City and and uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, structures that go with that that have not yet been placed on the layout. So as you can see, it's just sort of sitting on top, and the the building is clearly on the surface rather than firmly planted. But we'll we'll have that cleaned up by March. Uh, and it's very nice, and there's a little animation. In fact, there's another Arduino in there, and its job is there's a little um, stoplight under that awning you see on the front of that picture to tell the trucks, you know, to to, to move forward and, you know, right. come under the tipple. And that cycles, you know, from red to yellow, red to yellow. And there's, it's near Hayward Airport. So it's also got an air, aircraft warning light on the top. Um, mm. And there's interior lights and so forth. So it's a beautiful job. Same guy who did the uh, the gravel pit.
0: Oh, well, he does. does very good work. Excellent work. I like that. Okay, so... So we've got the RFID for monitoring the the cars. You know where they, they are on the road. Uh, cause I, I don't think at least any of the, uh, three big model railroad groups that we have here in Phoenix, a couple of them are computerized so that the ones in the, uh, Stillman Railroad Park can be automated. Scottsdale built a uh, very nice, this goes back to 2010, built a very nice building and allowed three model railroad clubs to go into it. And the only condition was when the park is open, you have to have your trains running. So that's the Scottsdale Club? Yes. Well, that's the one at uh, Scottsdale Road and uh, Indian Bend. So it's got live steam, O-scale, N-scale, and then it's got the whatever the appropriate... Word is for like the Disneyland train size. There's a old magma copper steam locomotive there and a couple passenger cars, one of which was a Pullman. Uh, they've been restored. But these are big uh, model railroads. And so Scottsdale, over the last couple of years, has using Digitracks, I think, for the... Uh, loco uh, LocoNet, put in uh, block detection and so forth, so that they can actually run the railroad by
1: computer.
2: Yeah, my understanding, um, I've been working with uh, uh, Doc Schaefer um, of that okay. club, and actually he's going to be open this weekend for uh, uh, Desert Ops, and I think we're going to come by there Thursday morning. And one of the things he wanted to talk about was using some of our uh, uh, CP Node Arduino-based uh nodes to do some of the control work so uh, you know it's a neat application if we can make it work for them and uh, they seem to be pretty excited about it so uh, uh, you know they're they're as you say it's a large club and they're really doing some progressive things with electronics.
0: Uh, yes they are and I've operated on the Thunderbird uh, club before which is at State Fairgrounds and again they have and this is a long-term relationship with Thunderbird. It goes back, I guess, decades, uh, where they get their place, uh, I guess, pretty much rent-free under the grandstands at the state fairgrounds. And their caveat is during state fair, county fair, whatever, you have to have your railroad up and running so people can do that. And it's in a separate room, but they just have banks of windows, and they take the covers off, and then the people can... uh look in there because I just did three locomotive uh, DCC sound conversion for one of the guys so that uh, he could run his daylight train down there but they have to do it they have to have warm bodies there to run it I said you guys aren't automated like Scottsdale and he's just kind of no not yet
3: hello this is actor Michael Gross and you're listening to the model railroad hobbyist podcast
1: Seth, I, I saw a few videos online, um, and I posted them on the, the Facebook page for the Marlboro Road podcast, and what, what they demonstrated was uh, a car was going across this reader, and the reader would pull off the identity of each freight car, and then a switch list was generated from that. How, is that what you would consider refined technology now? Is it something that's being implemented in mass with uh, other layouts that you know of?
2: We've done three or four, uh, three of which are doing the switch list app, and uh, a fourth is uh, doing a, a, an OSing uh, or train position reporting application and uh then we're also working with one very large club that wants to use it for uh uh tracking of members' equipment and uh you know they being a club are kind of hung up on some club issues at the moment, but I think they'll get back to it
1: right well, well what sort of costs is uh going along with the reader and also the r f i
2: d tags is oh sure is, um so the reader stack you know we We had talked about it a little earlier um consists of an arduino processor a uh a shield which interfaces with the reader itself and an ethernet board uh so it can get back to its server which has its database and that whole stack is roughly a hundred dollars okay and-
1: so hundred dollars per reader on right. a layout, then, right?
2: Right. Okay. And we've also made a dual reader, so if you're, you know, you have maybe two leads into a yard, you could put one on each lead, and they would share the Arduino and Ethernet and so forth. So you could do two for, you know, call it a hundred and forty, and one for a hundred, more or less. Okay. Um, the chips are we use the with it's basically the same as the kind of chip your your veterinarian would put in your cat or dog. So it's okay. about uh, a centimeter, a little less than a half inch long and about um, oh, 50 mils, something like that across. Um, so, you know, pretty small. Um, um, you could hide it in the uh, brake plumbing uh, on the bottom of your car, but uh, we have a method that you know has worked well for me anyway uh of just mounting them on the uh, trucks of freight cars uh and that's in the presentation there's uh around I think page 20 there's uh several slides that show how to do that um uh, so pretty right. easy you can do your cars for about um about a buck 70 if you buy them in several hundreds uh maybe two bucks a piece and 100 or 200 so you know, for a club doing a buy of five thousand, I think they would probably be in the dollar and a half range, maybe a little less. But uh,
1: that's not really that much, considering you know, installing like a decoder in each one of the your cars, you know, which is about twenty dollars a car. So yeah, that, that's that's really economical.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, compared to the uh, soundtracks, car decoder or, or, well, even in the days when cars came with plastic wheels and X2F couplers, yeah. we'd spend that much on wheels and couplers. Absolutely. Um, so I don't think it's unreasonable, although obviously it's a little daunting if you say, Oh, well, I have 3,000 cars. I think I'll do them all over a weekend. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any any sort of project, and that sort of scale is you know, rather daunting, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so, what kind of software do you use?
2: Well, we actually, um, be, because my friend Chris Drome, who wrote the thing, is is a professional programmer. Wrote it in uh, uh, C and uh, oh, uh, JavaScript, and uh, it all runs on Linux. And the reason was that uh... linux in several variations is free distribution um, the version on my layout is actually running on a little computer about the size of a smartphone um called a raspberry pi and the mm-hmm. raspberry pi which is about you know as i say a little smaller than a smartphone and it's in a little plastic case and it uses a cell phone charger for power and it's got you know ethernet and a couple of other things built in and the whole deal is like fifty dollars and the program lives on a little SD card like you'd put in your camera. So I think the whole server all in is less than $60. And so the idea is, I think, when uh, if, if you wanted to get one from us, what we'd probably do is just load everything onto the Raspberry Pi and ship it to you, and you would just plug it in and then plug it into your, uh, you know, if you've got a hardwired Ethernet in your house, just plug it in. And, you know, boof, it's all there.
1: So uh, the software is all open source and it's Arduino based obviously, so it's, you know.
2: So all the Arduino stuff is open source hardware and software. We have a little bit of code that runs on the Arduino. I think we've posted it. If you, if you are really anxious and want to try it before we get the final production model railroad control systems website up, just send me an email. uh, it's it's right on the model railroad control systems page and we'll get you a copy of it and uh you know you're welcome to play with it and uh you know obviously if you come up with something great we'd love it if you contributed back to the community but that's up to you right
1: so um uh, what what is the model railroad control systems website could you just say the Let's url see. and maybe we can
2: Sure um yeah put it we, in there. So model rail it's it's all all one word, model railroad control systems. And this is a little company that uh my partner Chuck Catania and I uh created uh because we had been out um, doing open source things with Arduinos for signaling, for RFID, for uh telephone control. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we had created this Arduini user group which is kind of a repository for all the design files around this. And what was happening is people were coming back and saying, Hey, we saw you made those. Would you be willing to put a, a, a build together? You know, have some more circuit boards made and we could all contribute. And we, you know, sure, you know, fine. We're, we're happy to do that. But it just became, um, you know, bulky to do that. So the idea is, why don't we just create a little company? We'll charge minimal markup. We'll have a web store and you can just go to it anytime you want and buy what you need. And, right. you know, so, you know, people needing a few would almost certainly buy them assembled and tested. You know, maybe a club needing 20 or 30 might buy the boards. Uh And maybe somebody who says, you know, gee, I like the design, but I want to tweak it a little bit, would just go download the design files and modify it and build their own. Or, you know, quite frankly, I mean, you could come to us and we'd be happy to do a modified version for you if there were, you know, enough boards to make it worth bothering. So uh you know it was really to say make the benefits of this uh, open source thing available to people who are maybe a little less technical than the do it yourself community
1: yeah, yeah yeah i i think that's a good plan um i i i always think it's kind of funny um that people are introduced to the game aspect of model railroading so late <laughs> it, you know, you're introduced through a train set. You you get a bunch of track. You get all this stuff, and it it just seems to be more logical if it's sort of pushed or not pushed, but presented earlier on to someone just starting off in model railroad and say, hey, you know, there's this great aspect of model railroading where it's it's a game, and you can use this open source software and just sort of hit the ground running with it. So. I I think that's a, that's a good plan just to, oh, you know, make it more accessible just to regular, you know, people starting off or maybe even they have a existing layout, you know. Well, I
2: think you're, you're, you're so right there. I mean, you know, it seems like operations is the last thing you do because it requires a layout that's fairly complete and runs pretty well. And maybe the thing to do is to just reach out to people who are interested in simulation games and interested in, you know, industrial history and so forth, and say, hey, let's come over and, you know, put ourselves in World War II and run trains to support the war effort. And, you know, here's all the tools you need to do it because there's all this great software, you know, that's open source and JMRI. Here's this hardware to implement the stuff on MRC, on model railroad control systems. <coughs> and then you can kind of back into that once you've already got, you know, the context of, of the game and the social interaction, which is to me really the point of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it sort of brings in a new dawn of model railroading and it, this could potentially revolutionize the hobby and also reinvent it. Um, I, I, I think a new person coming in, it, it's a lot easier to present it to someone who's just like, oh, well, this is a game, you know, yeah. it, 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 there's so many different aspects and elements to model railroading that it's sort of like, how do you present it to someone? It's, is it an art? Is it, you know, industrial modeling? Uh, what, what is this? You know, <laughs> but, but yeah. when you're, it's, when you kind of treat it like as a game, okay, here, this is what it is, but you can also do all this extra stuff with it too. You know, yeah. I, I, I think it's a, it's a brilliant conduit to to actually expanding model railroading and make it cool again to um a younger generation that's looking for this sort of stuff. Um it's real time well, railroad think we, Tycoon. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's Exactly what I'm getting at, you know. It, it, there there's other games out there right now called like Anki Drive where it's sort of like two people that can play through the internet and it, it, it it's sort of like let, let's revolutionized slot cars into this thing that has like artificial intelligence. People can like play the game wherever they are in the internet on the war in the world, you know, um, it it kind of builds model railroading into that thing. Just like what Jim said, it's railroad tycoon that you play live. Um, I mean, it, it would be awesome to sort of support that community and bring in some of those railroad tycoon esque, Things where you have like the stock market and all that, the virtual stock market and all this stuff uh, to, you know, team up different railroads, sort of like become the Genesee, Wyoming, where you're a bunch of little railroads going against the big one or something like that. You know, I, I think that element of model railroading is completely brand new and it's something that can really revolutionize and also reinvigorate the hobby.
2: Couldn't agree more. Okay,
0: but let's uh, continue on with uh, Mr. Seth here because Chris has just made everything crystal clear. <laughs>
2: crystal clear.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Still yeah. clear. <laughs> That's right. Broadening his horizons again.
1: <laughs> man, hey, I'm man. in the Horizon <laughs> parking lot, so, yeah, I am broadening my, my horizons. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: where is within uh, Champagne? You know, because I used to live there. Where is Horizon Geo physically located? Let me ask that.
1: Okay. Um, if you're familiar with Champaign, there's uh two major freeways. There's a east, west, and a north and south. The right. east and west is like the 74. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what intersects that is the 57 going north and south to you know, correct heading, heading to north to Chicago. Um, Horizon is located closer to the 57. There's a, a cross street. I'd say the closest major cross street is Springfield. Um, okay. And it, it's it's in that general vicinity um, that that you will find Horizons. It, there's a there's a I'm, I'm not sure what the predecessor railroad was, but there's a branch line that that's right on. Used is, to be UP. Is it UP? Huh.
0: Uh When I lived back there, there was a UP branch that uh, served because, well, and I'm sure before UP, because I'm talking mid-90s, because I was just like you and going, what is the UP doing in Illinois? Yeah, you know, this right. far down. That's what all the signing said. Hmm. So whatever it was before that, whether it was Illinois Terminal or. Yeah, who knows? I don't know.
3: That would have been um, Mopac, Missouri Pacific. Missouri Pacific
1: was in the Chicago area. Oh, okay. That makes sense.
0: Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Jim gets surprised. Okay. Back on point, on topic after our little sidebar. Okay.
1: Carry on, Chris. So going back into the RFID segment of the conversation here with Seth. so how long have, have, has this technology been in development, Seth?
2: Well, it, RFID has probably been around for 30 years, but, uh, Chris Drome and I started working on it about two years ago. And, okay. uh, we, I think we first presented it, uh, November of, um 2012, uh, at a regional, uh, PCR meet. Um, so we've, you know, we've been out there presenting it. There's a article with Kalmbach. Hopefully they'll publish it one of these days, uh, while the technology is still current. Um, and, uh, um yeah, I mean, all the magazines have the same thing. They, you know, it takes a while to get through their queue. They, they, they actually have contacted yeah. us recently. So, uh, you know, a, an article version of this presentation will be in MR sometime soon. Uh we've implemented it on my layout and on a couple of other layouts locally in the Bay Area, and we're working with a couple of people a little further afield. Um, so there's, a, as I was mentioning earlier, there's a couple of uh, implementations of the switch list system and uh, another fellow who's using it for, uh, uh, as I say, train position reporting, an OS system, uh, and his problem was he runs a timetable and train order railroad and it was, uh, uh, just difficult to get the crews.
1: So, Seth, could you tell us a little bit about the history of the development of RFID as far as small railroad?
2: Well, we, we went back about two years. I know there are a few examples, uh, that, uh, you know, people had posted on YouTube and, uh, uh, I think Paul Bender on the JMRI list had done some similar work a little further back, but, we had a real need, uh, which is that my yard works with a clerk, and the clerk generates switch lists of uh, telling crews what to do with the cars. And the problem was that every time a train would pull into the yard, he'd have to hop up and go play, you know, car knocker or mud hop or whatever and write down all the reporting marks and road numbers. And it took a while, and, of course, he was in a hurry to get it done so that people weren't standing around. And uh, the lists weren't very accurate, and particularly when I was doing it, they weren't at all legible. So we were talking about, wouldn't it be great if we could just put RFID tags on the cars and, uh, you know, have a reader, and then the computer could print out the switch list. So, uh uh one of my guys, uh, Chris Drome, who's a professional programmer here in Silicon Valley, said, well, I think I can do that. And so we came up with this little system where essentially the readers are Arduinos with little uh, Ethernet interfaces that talks to a computer with a, a database, and it keeps the car database and keeps track of who's had reads, and it uh, generates uh, the switch list reports. So uh as I say, we were working on that maybe two two and a half years ago, and it we had it working and in service um oh just about two years ago now and uh we've done a couple of clinics on it uh it's uh as i say it's uh eventually Kalmbach will print it and uh you know we've had real good luck with it. well,
1: I like the fact that it's operation without the paperwork, having to do paperwork is just I don't know, it seemed too much like work <laughs> rather than fun. And, and what, what really clued me into RFID is just like being a, a interested in, into the technology and see where things are at was the fact that I like doing operation. I just don't like doing the, the paperwork part of it, you know? Well,
2: um, and, and he, Take, takes the tedious part of the uh, of, of the paperwork, you know, which is just the endless copying of lists out and now you don't have to worry about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um I, I, I think it helps to explain that to the just to the listeners right now. It's just RFID will eliminate having to write out hand written <laughs> uh, switch lists. Although you can choose a really nice handwritten font when it yeah. prints out, you know, Absolutely. if that's a, if that's something that that people want to have that look, of, you know, the where the paperwork looks like, period, you know, it, the the digital technology allows you to do that too, to kind of stylize it or pattern it after the 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 actual stuff, but. Yeah. Just the fact where, hey, you know what? We're 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 coming into an age where, you know, it it, conf, it concentrates the operators onto the game versus like trying to mimic the actual paperwork and writing everything by hand. And it, I think that 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 element of operation got really boring. And like I said, it was it just seemed too much like work, and no one really wanted to go through the hassle of setting it up and. You know, having RFID available where it's just, you, you just go with it. You know, you just start pulling trains across the reader and they'll start generating switch lists for you. I think that's
2: great. And it uh, certainly uh, takes a lot of the pain out of the reset, right? Cause you just. Uh, yeah. Build your train in staging, pull it over the staging reader, and uh, there's your list, you know. Um, and, you know, how nice is that? Um, so, uh, Well,
1: uh, coming, coming from a modular background, Seth, uh, it's, it's such a pain to set up the layout, you know. You, you, by the time you get to running trains, you're just so tired, <laughs> you know, it's like, now i got to stage the layout to do an operating session and stuff. It would be really liberating to have a system, and I looked at RFID, and I'd like to try it out in a FREMO operational environment where you just put the trains on the track and start running. And generating switch lists and things like that,
2: so. Well, that would be great because you could automatically populate the location of the car database, just, you know, running everything around and getting it into your staging yard. Like the, the local Freemo N guys have sort of a, a peninsula, you know, a Y that sticks into the layout and then they have their, that's sort of their fiddle yard, right? So as, as right. soon as the train leaves the fiddle yard, well, now I know all the cars that are in it. Um, I presumably have loaded which modules are in this 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 uh run and I can start you know just assigning cars to industries on the fly because I know what's on the train. I mean right. it would be great.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly and you know having some sort of software that kind of takes into account a modular layout where <laughs> where locations they may be in the layout but they may not always be in the same position, you know, the two different cities may be next to each other that weren't before. And people's cars kind of come and leave through the weekend and having that sort of dynamic where, Hey, so-and-so left the, the layout. So just take all those cars out of service or something, you know, um, I, I really see leveraging RFID as the, as the way to make that happen for modular guys, you
2: know, yeah, well, you know, that's interesting you mentioned that because uh at the Cincinnati show last summer, um we were demonstrating our control point node Arduino uh controllers with the Hub Group and what they were doing was using uh the Cats dispatching program and they had written uh, uh a program that enabled them to take their modules and stitch them together, you know, in pretty much any order you wanted. Um, with a minimum of of handwork, and you know I was looking at and thinking, you know, gee, if they can configure their signal system, they would also know where all their industries were, so r f i d would be an obvious add on to that you know, so the you know that's another technology we we could offer a a modular layout like that 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 would be fantastic.
1: <laughs> I I mean I'm already sold on the technology I I I'd like to start putting RFID tags on on a lot of my freight cars uh, especially you know start with the ones that I typically use in an operating session and then go out from there um, the the readers are pretty inexpensive in terms of you know buying a new Genesis locomotive from Athearn you know or it's three hundred bucks or something like that so well yeah a 100- hundred. A $100 reader is like, well, yeah, I could get three of those, and that's a good beginning to an operating session, you know.
2: It, it's not even a non-sound four-axle diesel. Um, <laughs> not to so, put a, too fine a point on it, yes. Yeah, uh, Yeah. definitely. You could, you could get a small layout going for the cost of a nice sound diesel. Um, yeah. So yeah well, that's absolutely true. Um
1: and, and it also kind of replicates the prototype system because they use RFID tags on all their on all their equipment as of today so it kind of replicates that uh, element of the of the prototype in in smaller scale so yeah I,
2: Jim and I were just discussing that a little earlier in this, b- before you joined, that, that that's exactly right. You know, we're we're basically doing the prototype job the way the prototype does it. You know, yeah. Because just like we don't appreciate spending our playtime uh, doing needless paperwork, uh, yeah. they don't want to pay people to do it, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
3: Um, well, that, and it's it's generally far more efficient and then yeah if it you know there's also the the, the thing if the tr- if the car is not supposed to be in a train and it is they can say hey uh you need to leave that one or <laughs> or you need to go get it or things you know right. things that are supposed to be there aren't and things that aren't supposed to be, there are, and, or they're out of order. That's normally what would happen is the um, the hazmat. See, that would be interesting if you could find some way to, because that would add another layer to it, is if you could find some way to identify things as hazardous material cars. Um, you know, that always needs to be something that you need to know where it is.
1: Um, You know, I think there's a lot of integration you can do with, RFID, and that might be something too. I mean, if you're gonna have like a, an iPhone type throttle, and you go across an RFID reader, and it, once it's, once that, once the computer realizes you have a certain car in a location on a train, it can sort of talk back to your, your throttle and say, well, you're restricted to, uh, 25 miles per hour or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
2: We absolutely yeah. can do that and uh you know we usually set the clerk up with a laptop because we want to print but uh we we have in fact had people walking around with tablets you know uh, like ipad minis just pulling their switch lists off the tablets and you know doing it on the fly and uh, uh the possibility of you know integrating in our case we had just written our own database because we had uh um at the time some minor issues with talking to jmri's uh, database but you could certainly imagine using jmri ops or some car forwarding program integrating it with the reader being able to make you know car placement checks like jim just described uh, mm-hmm. and also uh kind of the thing that you know you were talking about earlier chris where um, I'm trying to set the system up, and I just had to put every car on the layout. So I don't want to go manually have to enter each car's location. I want the program to pick it up automatically as the car, you know, hits the first reader. And, right. you know, th- then refresh the... uh the location database and essentially uh you know roll the dice right then and give you a whole new set of destinations and uh, i i don't think that would be very difficult that's something we we'd like to do in the future
1: that would be really cool i mean just doing the the little nuances you know of of a a true supply and demand sort of simulation sure and 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 making the computer more like a a scorekeeper keeper or a car clerk or whatever, whatever else you want to kind of integrate it to be. Um, I think it's just a fabulous technology. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to trying it out.
2: Well, it's, it's, uh, it's all here. Um, next time you get out, uh, west, um, you know, back to your Bay Area routes, you need to drop by and, uh, try and set up an operation session for you. Um, Another, th- another,
3: you know, another thing you could do is if you had, it, when you go past a reader, if you had a, if you had a reader in an intermediate location, acting as a hot box
2: detector. Oh, sure.
3: Mm-hmm. Have you? Are you doing that?
2: Um, yeah. Well, I have one of um, Boulder Creek's hot box detectors. It's it's about ten feet away from another reader, so I didn't feel I really needed to integrate it. But uh, well, this specifically is
3: the the layout owner, without the crew knowing. Could flag one of the cars as having a defect. Oh, huh. and so that's
2: really cool. And so, yeah, you, know,
3: you have a list. You know, the, the the layout owner. Okay, I've got all these trains, these car. You know, you use the RFAD in your prep to determine, or if you have a list of all the cars that you have on your railroad, you can just you know randomly say, all right, you know, UTLX ninety four forty four is gonna have a defect, they're gonna to have to set the car out.
2: <laughs> and so
3: and so what you yeah. do is uh is you have the Arduino count, you know, every time a train goes over that uh location, it sure count counts the axles and if it and it gets a hit on U T L X ninety four sixty four, then boom, you get a defect.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And or, you know, do your own hot box detector or communicate it to the Boulder Creek detector, which will then, you know, tell you you've got a defect and what axle it's on and, uh, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be just great. Now, if we're really devious, we could, we could like make sure we always got the cover car on a train full of hazmat. Right. Well, see, <laughs> y'all. Oh, have yeah. to try to move their train without cover. Well, I see, on a train. <laughs>
3: On a train with hazmat, normally i mean unless it's like a a key train where they only have one you know you've got a it it always killed us because you know we've got what eighty seven cars worth of um, um crude no 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 not crude but um, <laughs> uh uh ethanol, and we have one uh one covered hopper between us and it it's like yeah, yeah. that's gonna protect us. Sure. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, if you have one cover car or a lot of, you know, depending on the hazmat, you're normally supposed to have five. Uh But the, the, the point being is that depending on how your layout's designed, um, you know, you put a sticky note on the backside of the car. So... This is what I had said before is you put a sticky note in a little mirror at the you put a little mirror like that you have with an extending arm so that when somebody goes over a hot box detector and it gets at the defect particularly if it's on a particular car uh the engineer then has to inspect the train and as he goes down the as he goes down using the mirror on the backside of all the cars he'll see the thing that says defect set out, you know, bad, you know, hot box, set out car at next location, restrict it to 10 miles an hour. Right. And then you being the layout owner would know that that car is in there. And if he doesn't do that, then you could say, hey, and he happens to be in like in the next town. It's like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, oh, I'm just running my train. Uh, did you go over the hot box detector? Yeah. Uh, did you see any defects? Well, yeah. Did you stop and look? No. Don't you think you oughta? Why? It's just models. Why don't you look? That's part of the game, dude. <laughs>
1: you know, I, I just had a, a thought about the, the defect detector, too. Um, I think you could put an axle count for each RFID tag, so you don't need to worry about manually counting the axles. If you have a database with the axle count already in it right. per car, the the, the detector will just it will just pull up that info from the the database and just say, okay, well I counted this tag, this tag, this tag, this tag, and this tag, and multiplies or or adds up all the the wheels there's your axle count
3: you right. know that's what i was thinking is that every car every car would count as four axles
1: yeah but, you know a, a, like a default four axles and you know hey if if you have like a, a six axle car you would just put that into the database right well, that would, that would, would be a be beautiful a, way to do it
2: yeah it's not going to be very far off anyway i mean The, the Boulder Creek one is pretty good, but it's, it's not 100%. But, you know, it's always close. So, I mean, you know, the point is, you know, you know roughly what part of the train it's in, and that's... Oh, so the Boulder Creek one actually counts axles? Yeah, yeah, he's got a nice little infrared detector that just shoots across the the rails, and, uh, you know, every so often you'll notice because you get an odd number of axles, but, you know, usually it's close.
0: <laughs>
2: You're listening to UP Detector Milepost 10.3. <laughs> um, you have a hotbox on, you know, Axel So-and-so, you know, stop now, stop now. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's surprisingly good. And, uh, you know, most of my crews, then, to their credit, you know, we'll immediately get on the radio with the dispatcher and ask him what to do. And, you know, we always just tell him, walk the train and then, you know, call and proceed. But, um, unfortunately, he's going into hidden track where the detector's uh located. And it was, you know, so, mostly to confirm that the train was together when it went into hidden track. Uh, uh, yeah. So I didn't really want him. Stopping and taking the train apart there, but well, yeah. well
3: that, that's right. I mean, it depends on where it is in the on the layout. But yeah, well, which, um, which direction they're going, you
2: know. Yeah, yeah. I guess if they're coming out, you could do that. So, and and we know that. So that's a good point.
3: And that would be that would be tremendously aggravating. They're just starting the trip, and bang! <laughs>
2: oh man! Because <laughs> you get to set a car car you know. <laughs>
3: oh, and it's your cover car, so.
2: You have oh, to and it's easy. diabolical too, because it's right by a industrial district where there's usually not a lot of room. So for somebody is going to get really burned if they left a the car there. That's oh, a great yes. idea,
3: isn't that great? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I I'm only, I've only ever had. Normally, hot boxes, hot box detectors give you false readings. I've only ever had one actual defect when I was doing that type of thing. So, which was good. I had a very uneventful career in freight. Uh Uh-oh.
2: That's good. Uneventful is good.
1: Yeah. You don't want to have an eventful one where you're having to set out cars left and right, you know.
2: Yep.
3: Or not so much that. Normally, eventful comes with, you know, I had an almost eventful last week. But... <laughs> yeah, no, I had somebody, I, I had a kid grab hold of the side of one of the trains as we were pulling out of the station and almost crush himself. Oh, my gosh. Between Yeah. Yeah, he grabbed hold of the train while we were, you know, we were getting up to five or ten miles an hour, and he's holding on to the side of the train. And we were going towards the high-level platform, and there's about, ooh, Eight inches, six inches between the, the platform and the side of the train. And when I turned back to look, one of my trainmen called and said, Hey, safe stop. And you know, in retrospect, I went to them and I said, Hey, when you see something like that, just say dump it because yeah. I need to, I need to know as the conductor that something bad is going on. Whereas what you just said tells me some nitwit missed his stop and wants to get right. it. And when I looked back, the kid lifted his legs up so his butt skirted along the top of oh the high level platform. Oh
0: my gosh! Oh my gosh! How yeah. old was the kid? Did 12, 13. Oh, okay, old enough to have a clue. Oh yeah. that maybe this, this shouldn't be doing no, this.
3: You know, you know they they of course thought it was funny, and then, you know once we got <laughs> once we got stopped once we got stopped. I was kind of amazed because the kid was pretty chunky, so I'm amazed he was able to lift his legs up that high.
0: You know? <laughs> death, death will do that for you.
3: Yeah, adrenaline does wonderful things. Um, you know, I don't quite, I, I don't, I'm not sure whether he quite understood that. That is Harrison, by the way. Oh, that's Harrison? That's, that's Harrison. Quit. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's looking at me. Anyway, uh, that is nothing I can do about it. So he's decided that he wants to play. He never plays. He doesn't play like all day and then like...
0: Wait a minute, are we talking about Harrison or are we talking about the kid on the platform?
3: No, we're talking about Harrison right now. Um. So, yeah, and I had already had, I had already yelled at him once because of fair issues. And, you know, one kid, you know, kid had the wrong pass and didn't have any money and,
0: oh, all the other guys don't
3: make us pay. And I'm like, well, you know, what? I'm not all the other guys and (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: I uh,
2: answer. I'm not I, like I just fell off the turnip truck yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: oh no I'm quite I am quite sure that all the other guys don't charge a lot of the other guys don't charge them. they don't want to be bothered
2: they honestly yeah. don't
3: want to you know if they've got something in their hand they'll like, let them go because you know all I'm doing is charging them $1. sixty. it's not like they're going to be out a mint but you know so all I could <laughs> is a buck and it's like So they got off the train, I yelled at them, and then I let them back on and brought them to where they were going to go, and then they did this. Now, this is the second time this group of kids has been stupid on my train. And needless to say, me and the other trainmen are just waiting for them to come back and try to get. They seem dumb enough that they'll probably try and get on our train again. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, boy. Uh Uh-huh. I think not. Uh, it says, well, you can try to get on my train, and if you get on this train, I'm going to keep the train stopped here, and we're going to wait for the police to pull you off because you're never going to ride my train again ever.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Well, yeah. The, that's the, the benefit of hauling freight around. It doesn't talk back.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: And then I guess uh, last night
3: um, the engineer almost took out a car. And the lady uh, the lights were going, she's blowing the horns. Fortunately, we were only going ten miles an hour. And she like drove right in front of the train. And uh she
0: drove around the arm?
3: There was no there's no arms at this crossing. Okay. And um so yeah, she just like drove right in front. She's like, I'm laying on the horn, the lights on. I it's like I don't know. She's like I have no idea how I missed that car.
0: Really? But wow.
3: We didn't hit it, so
0: she had to buy new underwear today, but...
3: One, I, I, I certainly <laughs> hope so. I certainly hope so. Moving on from that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. On from that. yeah, you don't have those problems. Well, no, you have the the stupid idiots going around, rail- you know, gates in and, and freight, but you don't have nincompoops, you know. Ha- you know what? You could have nincompoops hanging onto the side of your train in a freight train, you know, but anyway... Normally, when you're going through a passenger station, you're going fast enough with a in a uh, freight train that they're not going to be have They're not going to have the chance to grab hold of it. <sighs> anyway, RFID, uh, hotbox detectors,
1: anything that needs a car count, yes, RFID is like perfect for that. Um, is there a certain range, say, like on multiple deck layouts that you got to be aware of when you're installing a, a
2: reader set? Um, n- not so much. Um, there's a slide in the presentation. Um, let's see here. I, I, I went and closed it. But uh, uh, anyway, there's a slide, I think it's around 32 or 33, that shows you the geometry. The good news is that the these tags are... The technical term is 125 kilohertz EM forty one hundred. Uh they have a range of about an inch, inch and a half. And oh, the, sweet, okay. the sweet spots about uh half an inch. So it it turns out that uh you know it's good enough that it'll read reliably on your track, but it will reliably not read on the adjacent track. Um and if you have two readers on um one stack uh we recommend you offset them by three or four inches because they do tend to interfere with each other when they're both trying to read um so as long as you know if you have say two throats to one yard or two leads you know you could set one forward a few inches and the other one back a few inches and everything would work out great so there are certainly other more capable technologies and uh you know, there's a one guy we were cooperating with and sharing some information, you know, really had it in his mind that he wanted to, you know, that this other technology was better because it was re- would read further. And he discovered that he was getting very inconsistent results because he was trying to read the whole track at once. So uh. <clears throat> he ultimately came back to doing it our way. So <laughs> there you go.
3: Yeah, sometimes the weaker technology is So with the, with the activities. reader that does
1: multiple tracks, oh, yeah, yeah. So
2: there's basically two heads. You just install each head as if it had its own reader, but at the end of the day, okay. or I should say you, you each head as if it had its own control stack, but then at the end of the day they just plug onto the same board. And, uh, you know, it knows about two different readers, and uh, they – they each um uh, technically they each have like a little serial port so they they send you data which is uh you know a little header and then the actual contents of the RFID tag and then a uh uh you know an end of transmission character so that you know you got the whole thing um and the uh right. the arduino is really just sitting there reading these and essentially combing the hair so that the the right bytes getting the right message and then it just uh uh you know gets on the ethernet and sends a message off to the server when it's done uh, so it's all pretty clean
1: so and so uh is the communication protocol between these different readers like ethernet or is it serial and to a computer or serial to the arduino and then what happens well, with- from there
2: how does it get to uh, the, the server so within the stack it's it's a serial logic level uh command. I mean we don't go to RS232 or 485 or anything fancy. It's just you know 5 volts and well actually 3.3 volts and ground internally. Um when the processing is all done, it's ethernet. Um one thing we're playing around with but we're not, you know, I think anywhere near a a, a product is to um bring this into the CP node, which is actually talking the CMRI protocol, and oh, okay. could bring it back into JMRI and process it there. So that's another alternative. The uh the Ethernet scheme, you know, at the end of the day looks a little bit more like each Arduino stack you can kind of think of as a user talking to a uh a server. So they all look like browser users. And they're just calling up the the, the server and uh, essentially opening a virtual web page using the JSON protocol and okay. and sending it that way. And uh, you know, then you know, there's yet another user who's the clerk who just logs in and he gets a web page and uh, you know he has the choice of well, what reader do you want to look at? And then there's just a list of all the reads that came by in sequential order with timestamps. So you just go and say, okay, that car, that train was about 15 cars and it came by about two minutes ago. I bet you that's the one I want. You click on it. It shows you your switch list and you can print it or not, you know?
1: Right, right. Okay. So uh, I, I see how that's handled now. That, That makes a lot of sense.
2: So, you know, GMRI, I mean, I think we'll get there. The, the, the real issue is that there's no defined datagram so every application is responsible for deciding what the datagram is going to look like and y- you know logics which is normally the thing you'd want to use within jmri um uh it'll it'll handle character data but it it doesn't really have an idea that oh there's a block and it's going to be 40 characters long and you know the following characters mean the following things. You have to kind of do all that parsing yourself, and right. so that's a little awkward. It would be it would be nicer if there was a better scheme, but it's certainly doable. So we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: Now, do you put uh, RFID tags on locomotives too? <laughs>
2: Um, I personally don't because I'm really only interested in car forwarding, but as I mentioned, we have this OSing application, and in, on that layout, the only tags are on the locomotives and the cabooses, right? So, you okay. know, the front the back of the train, and then there's just a little window that you can open up and say, oh, here's the southbound merchandiser. Well, locomotive 4238 is the leader, and 2222 is the second one, and 1595 is the trailer, and, you know, so when I see any of those coming by, I go, oh, that must be the front of the train. And then Caboose 1627 it's the back, you know. So when he's past the station, I know to send in the OS.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: But there's no reason he couldn't do both. I mean, if he yeah. also wanted to be generating switch lists, it would just be a matter of tagging the cars.
1: So when you tag cars... Uh, is that something that's handled computer side where you would get this, I guess, RFID signature and then you would just uh, attach, uh, uh, let's say, reporting marks to that? Or can you actually oh, yeah. embed the reporting marks inside the RFID tag?
2: Um Well, you certainly could do that, but because we wanted to use the least expensive tag that would work well… Um, uh-huh the way these work is it's it's just a 64 bit number and uh <clears throat> our vendor just seems to assign them randomly but never seems to give us the same ones although given that it's a 64 bit number that's kind of unlikely anyway <clears throat> so the way chris set the software up I, is incredibly clever um the first time you you know after you've gone and uh, installed the tag you just roll the car over a reader and you get a uh when you go to print the switch list, it says, um, I don't know this number, assign tag to car. So you click on that link, and then it takes you to the uh, 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 car database and says which car do you want. And if not, you know, if there's no car there, it gives you an option to create a new one. So, you know, you enter UP, you know, 456789, and maybe it's a covered hopper, so you'll enter LO and car type and so forth. And then it says, is is this the tag, you know, the one that I read that you want to assign it to? And you click yes, and then uh, you go back to the switch list, and it's fixed it, and it, you know, gives you UP456789. Okay. So, you know, just the first time it sees a new one, it, it 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 asks you to enter it.
1: Uh, so is it possible in the RFID tag to you know assign your own, actually embed a your own sort of number in there? So oh, it's sure. Like it's... like if I want to take a, a freight car to a friend's layout for the first time and you know put it into their operating scheme, you know where 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 the tag has the actual reporting marks in it, you know, and wheel count and whatever else that they, you they want to take to layout
2: to layout to layout well you I got to
1: do all the ton of setup
2: yeah yeah i mean of the of the 64 of well let's see it's it's an 8 byte field so you got 64 bits it would be hard to get enough information to really do that onto at least this style of tag but there are readable write rewritable ones you know think mm-hmm. of like a uh uh an ee prom that you could rewrite um, right. But, um, you wouldn't get that much information in there. So probably the best thing to do is just, uh, uh, you know, just use it as an index into the database. But you're okay. right. If you brought a whole train over, then you'd have a little typing to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I thought it'd be cool to have like, you know, just a little snippet of, of information. Like here's the, the reporting marks, you know.
2: Well, it's Um, true, but, I mean, that would be four of your eight characters, right? you got eight bytes, so to put four characters in, that would be half of the tag right there. Right, Um, yep. I'm sure there are tags with bigger fields so that you could do that. I mean, essentially, let's say you had an 80-byte tag, you could write a whole record, right? I mean, that's kind of your standard (laughs) unit record going back to the punch card days. Um, Right. So that that really would be very cool and then the database would just be distributed on the cars. Um yeah. Yeah. Um well I'm sure it's doable. <laughs> the, the cheap ones we chose don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a,
1: it's a, it, it's sort of like the economics of scale here, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: On one side, you could use the you know for FID and just figure it out on on your railroad, or you could go for like the thirty dollar RFID you know, I yeah, so you I 30, $30 tag. You know, I get that. A twenty
2: dollar car with a thirty with thirty dollar tag. You know, what's wrong with this picture? Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know that, back
1: in the days where we got blue box locomotives and stuff, that was a thirty dollar locomotive with two hundred. Dollars apart. On them.
2: <laughs> oh, so it was. Well, yeah. I mean, starting with let's see, you had to get the Northwest Shortline uh, half axles and wheels, and then yeah. you needed the Mishima can motor, and uh yeah. basically everything came off.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. Then, then then you would, of course, get the. I think they were about fifty bucks at the time. The decoder, or the you know, yeah, yeah they had lighting so. units, the the Ivan light units that were like right. forty fifty bucks and something like that, and people were carrying it. <laughs> but yep, yeah, kind of going back to yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, the the twenty dollar car with the thirty dollar RFID tag. That's pretty funny. But. Yeah. No, I I think uh, I I'm really excited about what you guys have developed so far. Uh is that a .dot .com address that that you gave the
2: Model Railroad Control yes. System? Yes, it is. Uh com. and uh you know if you go take a look at it now, uh we've got, you know, most of the documents we've discussed here and a few other good things up. And uh keep keep visiting us cuz we'll have the whole store up in the next couple of weeks and uh uh, a lot of this stuff, there'll be a lot more information and, you know, you can, most of the things we've talked about, you'll just be able to buy, uh you know, in a standard web store environment.
0: Okay. Aren't you running up against a uh, time wall here, Seth?
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, got lots of things I can talk about, but uh, I do need to prepare for the layout design SIG board meeting I'm uh I've been a director and past president of the uh, Layout Design SIG and after 10 years I'm, I'm finally terming myself out and, uh, this is either my last or second to the last meeting depending on when the election is cut off, election ballots. If you're an LD SIG member, uh, it's LDJ 53 has the ballots so there's some good candidates. Vote for them. Put me out to pasture. <laughs> okay, you heard it here,
0: folks. Put him out the pasture. If only <laughs> half of Congress would take that same uh, <laughs> take
2: that same approach. I know when I've had enough. Yeah, <laughs> well, the same.
1: It, it sounds like ah, you need to pull the pin on that one, Seth, for sure.
2: Well, Seth,
0: appreciate your time, and along that line, uh, dropping the Chris or I a note about what else you would like to talk about. And then we can get together schedule, schedule, I'm sorry, schedule another session either for a follow-up or to wrap into this one. Be happy to do that. It just had more... You know, it seemed to coalesce once Chris got on board because I'm scrambling in the background going, what the
2: heck is this? Uh, completely understand. And you know, for, yeah. uh, for me to just kind of read you the pitch would be pretty boring radio. So, uh, um, I think that was super. Um, uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad Chris could, you know, hey, while I've got Chris here, um, yeah. <laughs> we had this discussion here. in Cleveland about about the odd choice of, uh, UP GP15, uh, uh, paint schemes and eras that, that your employer, uh, chose in the past. And, uh, I, I'm still counting on you to, uh, <laughs> like, of the 350 or so GP15s ever made, like, 220 or 30 of them were in the uh straight UP with the old UP uh Mopac numbers scheme and they've never yeah. done that. <laughs> and that's my era so I'm really kind of looking for some.
1: <laughs> hey, you know, if you if you have suggestions fire them off to me. Um I I'm, I'm happy to take any sort of suggestions or uh even even if you have photographs, you know. Uh,
2: Oh wow, well, I've got lots we'll of those. see what we can do. Yeah, okay. See what well, we, we talked do. about it. And I think you were aware of the issue, but I'll send you a little ping.
1: No, actually, I, I, I wasn't. You know, uh GP15s just weren't really on my radar at the moment, so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind type thing. <laughs> but it, it yeah, it, it, this goes to any of the listeners too. You know, it's C Paulomar's my last name P A L O M A R E Z at athern dot com. Just any suggestions that you might have, I'm really interested in to, you know, taking them into account. So,
2: Excellent. Thanks, Chris.
1: No problem.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Seth. Have a good night. Well, thank you all. It's really been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, all thank right. you. we will
0: do this again. All right. Okay, Mr. Chris.
1: All right, Mr. Paul Gillette.
0: And Mr. James. I wanted to... Bring this up because Jim, you are one of the uh in crowd with the likes of Confalone and Micros and uh Matt over at uh ESU.
3: Okay, not really, but okay. <laughs> well not two out of three two out of
0: three, yes. I had the opportunity uh we could go Monday. To go to, uh, Matt Herman was at Litchfield Station in, uh, Phoenix area. It's actually Peoria. And that is the, uh, at one time model railroad, uh, store, uh, run by Bruce, uh, Petrarca. Yeah. You know, he does the, uh, DCC column. Yeah. And Bruce was there. And so Matt was there. And one of the things that's always frustrated me was in going to the ESU website, because I've heard uh you, Matt Conflin, and others speak so highly of ESU, and I I had a hard time getting information out of the the website. And granted it could have just been me. But he was there and we were just sitting in chairs around the, uh, switching layout there at Litchfield and he had brought, uh, five or six HO scale locomotives with his decoders in them. We also got to meet his lovely wife who handles all the dealer business and his two, uh, two of his little girls were there. So it was cool. Uh, and this was hosted by Jack Lynch and the two things, and I shared this with, uh, Matt, later by email, that impressed me was, one, his dedication to making sure that ESU puts out nothing but the best product possible, and secondly, he backs that up by not accepting anything less than the best. So, he brought out uh, a Dash 9 that had uh, one of his ESU select decoders in it Mm
2: -hmm.
0: with the appropriate dash nine engine file. Mm -hmm. And there were like 10 of us there. Everybody was blown away by the accuracy and just fidelity of the sound of this decoder. Mm -hmm. Because I have a uh, dash nine in a competitive product that I have spent a lot of time using Railmaster speakers and fine-tuning that graphic equalizer, and his right out of the box just blew me away. And I went, oh, wow, that is a good sound file. So then he rolls out uh, his Genesis DD40AX, or DDA40X, uh, twin motor and he has that available, The that one product there had two decoders in it, just the way Athern, you know, delivers it. And so he said, let me show you the startup sequence on this. And so the first prime mover starts up, couple second delay. Second prime mover starts up. And then you continue to hear two prime movers. Mm -hmm. There's two speakers in the loco. And I'm going, this is really different from, again, a competitive product that is specifically made for the E8s, that once you get past the startup sequence, it's just one sound. Mm -hmm. I don't care how many speakers you have coming out. It's just one sound. And... We're all looking at it at each other going, wow, this is incredible. So he ramps it up and you still continue to hear in and out of a discordant, you know, motor sound mm-hmm. to periodically in sync and then back out again. Very, very right. impressive. And one of the things that impressed me, Chris, was he said, how many here? Have had a decoder that the prime mover sounds are still going after you've brought your locomotive to a stop. And yeah, you know, we all raise our hands and he goes, let me just floor this and cut it off and you. Tell oh yeah. Me. And the sounds stop in conjunction with the locomotive. It's, it's in idle by the time the locomotive stops. And I'm going, wow, that is very impressive. And he said, we do the same thing with our single decoder. He said, you'll get the in and out of, uh, sync of the two prime movers. He said, but we do now have a, uh, um, that sound file available to where you can just do a single decoder. And I'm going, this is wow. This is really great. So then he shows us one of two existing <laughs> Rapido F40PHs. And he's got, and of course it's just on deck and it's up there. And I have heard his sound file, his general F40PH sound file in a, in a friend of mine's Kato, you know, one of the Kobo versions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just very, very impressive. Uh, likewise his Genesis sound file, uh, for the, I've heard him three of them in Kados, and they were Kobo conversion. And I'm going, this guy is on to something there. So I have three jobs in, sitting in front of me from uh, customers that one of them is a big ESU fan, so I'm going with uh, Steam and his locomotive, the the Select, and I'll download that sound file because I bought one of his uh, download uh, decoding, you know.
1: I really devices. like personally the ESU decoders for a number of reasons beyond just the sound, too, Paul. So,
0: well, you know, that when I looked at them, they are very small, and I'm not talking the micro, I'm talking about just the basic select the width, the length, and the thickness. Uh, I put three. Tsunamis in a PA, an E8, uh, A and a non-sound tsunami, just mobile decoder in a E7B for a guy, uh, for his daylight train. Did this last week. And that's a tight fit, especially in the PA whose roof profile is a little bit lower than an E8. And I went, golly, boy, this, this ESU would make it a lot easier because of the thinness. What's your reason, Chris?
1: uh some of the supportive technologies they have in the decoder um example uh well railcom for example that's a a great feature it's the NMRA, i guess that what you would consider like feedback or it's the bidirectional communication for dcc um and and what they're doing with it is pretty pretty makes it makes dc a lot easier because as soon as you put the locomotive on if you have everything set up the four-digit locomotive will pop up on your controller without you having to type in the address. Cool. You know, yeah. I think that that's the technology as far as, like, usability, especially in an operating session where you just want to put your trains on the track and run or get it into the RFID thing. It sort of follows along that, that same line where you just put trains on the track, and it's no fuss, no muss, and you're operating, you know.
0: He is, uh he named the number of OEMs that have converted to ESU, and like I say, I bought his uh programmer uh download thing, because uh, Jack had a special on him if you bought it that night, so I jumped so on a low that. So the
1: programmer, I think that's what it is?
0: Yeah, it's like 200 bucks, and Jack had a special on it. Oh, okay. And uh, it's sitting on the shelf a couple feet away from me, and...
1: Yeah, the good news is Matt from PSU is uh, going to be meeting up with me on Thursday and just going to go over his decoder line with me. Okay. And I'm pretty excited about some of the, his other things too, including controls and all that good stuff.
0: Oh, his motor control, uh, as outstanding as his sound files are, like his uh, 39 series Alco, like we go in an S2. Oh, that yeah, thing's amazing! Gosh. Oh, it is. I mean, the,
3: the the way that it just, like, it just, you know, he's kicking cars, or he, yes. you know, pretending yes. to kick cars. You just, you know, you run it right up to notch eight, and then dump it right back to one. You know, to put, you know,
0: boom, yes, it
3: stops, and it just like, just starts and stops, and the and the sound is right in line with it. It's very, very, very impressive. I, well, I at the Collinsville show, he was showing off the the Dash Seven, C thirty C thirty Dash Seven, and he was he was showing a video of a Conrail C thirty Dash Seven on YouTube, and then he switched over to the locomotive, like that was right there, and they were like the same, right? And that's well, that Chris. Was the when you speak to him Mom-
0: on. Go ahead,
3: Joe. Particularly, like in the fourth or fifth notch, the the, the dash sevens have this; they, they chug, you know. Right. Like yeah. They cock, yeah cock cock, cock cock as they go along, and it nailed it perfectly. In the third or fourth notch, the thing is was just like, you got it. That, that's and when you lead, meet um, with him, and even Harrison thinks so.
0: Yeah. When, <laughs> when you meet with him, this is sidebar, but. He's indicated a uh, willingness to have another session with us. Okay. And, but I've been in, and I've sent him a couple emails. Uh, customer to Shore store had a question about using his 3.5 series, uh, low Sound with uh, Keep Alive. And he said, well, let me get back to you. You want to get caught up? And I've sent him a couple emails about I would like to have him on, Again, because I'm, as you can tell, I'm excited about what he is doing. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to help him promote that uh via the podcast. So see if you can get him to, even if it's just an hour. Sure. Or yeah. something. Yeah, see if he will do that. Uh, but the, uh oh, his, I am really impressed with what he's doing. And, you know, this goes back to comments uh, Chris, you, and Jim made uh, oh, it was two shows ago about Tehachapi and listening yeah. to 645 V20s
2: mm-hmm. scream
0: as they came up. Yeah. And so after the, after his presentation, when we're noshing on these sandwiches and stuff that Jack uh, had so graciously provided, uh, I asked him, I said, well, I see that you've got a number of sound files Coming soon. I said, how soon is soon? Like his E8 and his 45. He said, he said, to me, there is a vast difference between a 16 cylinder 645 in run 8 and a V20. And I referenced briefly our conversations and I said, I agree. And he said, now he said, we're on the lookout trying to find an SD45 that still has the V20 in it that we can, you know, rent, lease, whatever, to get the sound recordings. And, uh, which I thought, you know, that was one of those things that just cemented in my mind, that this man is dedicated to getting the very best and most accurate out there.
1: Yeah. That, man, that would be kind does, of a tall order right now of us finding 45s. a V20 that's still well, in operation.
0: He said there. he had a line on a couple units. One was on some regional, and the other was actually still operable, sitting in a collection okay. that, that he was hopeful that even if they just put dead engines or cement hoppers behind it to where they could get, you know, eight speed steps under load. And extrapolate right. the data from there, right, so, but in the meantime, I've got to do he does have a a forty, so i've got it's one of the several locomotives I've got to do for people. Uh, I may just use his s d forty because it's so much better than the other company's forty pseudo forty five
1: well, the nice thing we can always go back and fix that eight notch right, Jim. Yeah, well, that, that, that's all he all he needs is that solid eighth notch. Yep. And I was talking to him about this, um, just like, well, we need the eighth notch, and we need, also need whenever we go into big hole, the bell ringer in the cab. You know. Okay. The bell so, ringer in the cab. Mm-hmm. You have that alarm that goes off when you go into big hole. Uh. Okay. I don't remember. I don't. Okay. No, I don't,
0: elaborate. Well, mean, when you,
1: you dump mean that obnoxious bell? Yeah, the the obnoxious bell.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: that, oh, when you not, dump the air? No, that's that's not what happens. That you would that's no, that's when the main engine shuts down. That it's an it's an engine alarm. That 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 is. It's not when you go into emergency. That really obnoxious sounds like an alarm clock bell. Is that the one you're
1: talking about? No, it's. A physical, well, yeah, I guess it would be a vibio alarm clock bell.
3: I mean, that's kind of way – it's not. Exactly I like the old the, school,
1: huh? The old school bell that right. has the ringer, right? Like, like,
3: nee, yeah, uh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. for when like the main engine shuts down, like, and you didn't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> like if it key point, yeah, if it just decides to it. stop working. <laughs> Like <laughs> You know, in a consist, for instance, you know, in a consist, if one of the engines shuts down, the alarm goes off, and it's like, oh, well, okay. and you never really know, you know, because if you have the engine in run, and it just goes, Pleh. it just dies, then the alarm goes yeah. off, and it's like, oh, boy, and you've got three or four engines in the consist, all right, my engine's running, it's not us, I got to go back and figure out what's going on. You know, and then you've got to take you got to isolate it. You know, if it's if it's just dead, you got to isolate it to to kill the alarm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has nothing to do with emergency.
0: Unless is that where you go into the hammerhead and you go delete engine number enter yes on yeah into E system the the
1: the alarm goes off <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> or, or your sponsor starts moving and you know one locomotive isn't running <laughs> where you're dragging the wheels. That'd actually be kind of handy to have, you know?
0: Yeah,
3: well, yeah. No, see, I always, you know, it'd be cool if you could get the things to freewheel. Um, oh, yeah. You know, as opposed to just have the that drag. You know, it'd be nice if you could cut out a locomotive so that it just rolled instead of pulled. But because of the nature of... Oh. I see what you're saying, yeah. You know, to, you know, take it out of the consist. But the problem is, is if you, you know, so you're, you're pulling, you're, you're pulling dead weight. The problem is, is if you actually, I, I remember talking to someone where we kind of figured out how you could do it. Um, and have the thing still roll, but not pull. It's, okay. Because you don't want to destroy the locomotive and you don't want to destroy the other ones that are pulling it either. But if
0: if the motor's not spinning, then how is it doing anything but dragging along the rail?
3: Right. Uh, I forget how we figured out how you could do it. I think it was – I had something to do with dropping the voltage in the decoder. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Okay, I see where you're going with that. I think. I think I, I, I'm not as big into you know motor control and everything on DCC to understand, but there was something that you could theoretically do, but the problem is it's not something you could just do on the fly. You know, you can't. Oh, just, okay. You can't just go click; it's off. Right. Um, yeah. Which would be ideal as a layout owner. Uh, it would be neat if. And devious and horrible. If at times when you have this guy going up a hill at, you know, guys going up the hill at 35 miles an hour with four engines to be able to go into the DCC system remotely and say, your third unit just died. Now you have to go, now you're going up the hill at two or five or something like, instead of 35, you're going up at five or 10 miles an hour. And you're like, what the hell is
0: that? Hotbox detectors go off.
3: Oh, yeah. Then you'd never get started again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> then you're
1: actually going backwards down the hill or yeah. doubling. Yeah, it, you know?
0: with the front locomotive dragging. Uh-huh. Gravity pulls it down.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah that would be bad. Um, but, I mean, you know, even yeah, – there's just no real way of dynamically doing that unless you
0: specifically put in a dummy. You know, well, sound dummy, you could do a sound dummy uh, and just uh, remove the worm gears and the drive shaft, obviously, and just let the gears spin. And the decoder will provide the sound, sounds, but, but just leave the motor there for, you know, ballast. Yeah, but in this particular case, you wouldn't want
3: sound because the thing's dead. Yeah. You know, so.
0: Oh, you know, very good, the, very good. The thing
3: is dead, unless you had sounds like. You know, the motor spitter. You know, I mean, uh, the, the, um.
0: Spitter valve? Yeah,
3: the spitter valve. Okay. You know, that might be interesting, although you would never really hear that much. You know, is that worth right. dropping a $100 decoder in just to have a spitter valve?
0: No, not no. at all. No.
3: Um.
0: Now, and, alright. Going back to ESU, their spitter valve? Oh, it's great. That's because he's got nine different sound yes. files in there, and they, just kind of randomly come up and after you shut the locomotive off mm-hmm. the spitter valve goes on for another 60 seconds as the system bleeds down
1: right yeah that yeah that's really cool that is really that really is
0: cool that is so cool
3: yeah. and uh you know from the, the the sound files I've heard from them you know the C30-7 was magnificent the 539 was great the you know the Alco the RS3 was great uh The only, I mean, you know, and everything, we're getting back to that eighth notch, everything about the 645 is magnificent up until the end. You know, it's like, yeah, hopefully your other sound recording is better than that one, you know, or fix it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the nice yeah. thing about
1: it. You just upload a new profile when it comes out with the, right. you know, so it oh, isn't yeah. like you're, you're not married to. To, to any of those sounds, you can change all that, you know. Right.
0: And, of course, then you can multitask the decoder. Oh, I'm going to trade this engine away, but I'm keeping the decoder. And you just download a new sound file right. into the new locomotive, and like, you know, something you don't to have do. to go out and buy another decoder. Mm-hmm.
3: So you can yeah. have, have the engine going on around and have it going. Yeah,
0: yeah. Or sh- or
3: or the song Yakis come Sak- The Yak <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, The yes. theme as your train goes around the layout.
0: I have a five sixty seven and an SD forty five. Well, I'll make it work. I'll just keep yeah. it on F eight. <laughs>
1: So, don't hear so, so Jim, I'm going to do this on one of my SD-40s. I'm going to have the eighth notch be the Benny Hill theme song. There you go.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, better yet. Better or yet. You Alco have, you have uh, your,
0: 39 um, series.
3: You have your, um, you know, you have your, you know, your, your setup. And if some guy wants to run an Acela, that's like, oh, fine. That's fine, but you got to do the Benny Hill theme.
0: You've
3: got to run it full blast, and it has to be the Benny Hill theme all the time. <laughs> 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 Isn't that a little faster than that curve? doesn't matter. Go.
0: It's a little fast, too.
3: Keep going. <laughs> and, the be, and the best thing is you've got to put batteries in it so that when the thing does derail, it's, the music still
0: goes. And you make the speed of the music proportional to the speed notches. So as it's coming out of the yard, it's. And then as it notches up. There we go. Proportional sound. Maybe.
1: With the Benny Hill theme song, and it's the whole reason why we need to have a good 30s. Second, uh,
0: You're uh, bouncing
3: around there, right?
1: on that one too, right? Jim? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh.
3: Yep. Yeah, and then, but the no. See, the thing is, is if you could get the sound, if the if the if the train derails, what you would be really cool is if you could get the sound to like
2: slow down. Slow
1: down.
0: Cool. Well, hey, Chris. Here
3: are a uh, bunch of things you can talk to Matt about.
0: When your uh, guy who was sick came back. Okay. The uh, I finally got the uh, SDP-45 cab off. Okay. And the part of the resistance was the cab has a slot, or has an arm that slides down the slot of the interior. And so you got to kind of wiggle it out because of the friction between the two pieces. But uh got it off, got the uh, LEDs in there. And I'll tell you what, oh, I changed out the speaker, no offense. Put in a uh, DSM-8. Right. Because uh, I just took the weight out and bound right. it in the back and... People at the store are amazed. So the next project is the uh, big boy. He gave me the information there, and the information, <laughs> what he doesn't tell me is how hard to pry. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, pry here, and it'll come right out. And I'm going, wow, man, I'm seeing plastic flux. <laughs> I don't know. Am I prying hard enough, or am I getting ready to destroy the body here? So, anyway, I got a partially apart, and it looks like you guys put some pretty robust speakers in that big boy tender. Uh Uh-huh. Pretty daggone looking. I think they just get a little muffled by, because, you know, you got your decoder board and some stuff in there that, uh, I mean, where else are you going to do it, especially on the oil tender? So I understand why it's done. And so I'm thinking... Okay, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here. I think, uh, what Christmas people have done is more than good enough. I was just going to reposition the speakers for a little bit more direct sound, but it's, uh, it looks like you guys have been successful at getting five pounds of stuff in a three pound sack. So I'm going to leave well <laughs> enough alone. The,
1: the, those steam locomotives weigh a ton, you know, so.
0: Oh, there's I, no I, question about its ability to pull
1: yeah none
0: whatsoever
1: it's just the uh, you know part of i would imagine you know part of the, their speaker placements are going to count weight i think weight was their driving Their driving uh um, inspiration for the some of these steam locomotives
0: could be but like i say when i could i got the end of it off and when i was looking back in there i went holy cow, these are good size. uh They're probably 28 millimeters, but oh, okay. they had good magnet structure on them and stuff. So I thought, that, ah, it's just firing down onto what looks like the decoder board. And that's just kind of diffusing the sound a little bit. Yeah. But I went, you know, I am not going to break this tender body and have to spend the rest of my life trying to find one on eBay. I'll just leave well enough alone. Yeah. 'Cause it's
1: Pick such and a beautiful best, Paul. <laughs> uh, Pick and choose your battles, Paul.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. That's that's why I wanted you guys to to stay around it. I just wanted to uh actually give a shout out to uh Herman there at You wanted to work it in. So right. uh, right. mention him we did this and then see if he'll grant us some time.
1: Yeah, yeah. He he's had a pretty busy schedule and Oh I know. Um he I think he's getting ready for train fest too. So he yeah, and I he are is. in the same boat right now, getting ready to go to Milwaukee.
0: Okay. Understand all that. I understand it very well.
1: So and so
3: now uh, uh no no, keep going. Keep going. I'll say what I have to say later. No, go ahead. No, this is totally unrelated. So
0: Well that's okay.